0: to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, we learn about Calvin's path from investment banking at Perella Weinberg Partners to corporate development at some of the top technology firms in the world, including Dropbox and Twitter. Listen to hear how he broke into investment banking out of Berkeley, the big risk he took going into his senior year, and what it's really like working on the inside of one of these tech darlings. We talk about pay, lifestyle, and some great advice for those of you looking to follow in his footsteps. Enjoy. All right, Calvin, welcome to the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, Patrick. So it'd be great if you could just give the listeners a short summary of your
1: bio. Yeah, sure thing. So I did my undergrad at UC Berkeley. Um, I had a focus on economics. And yeah, I think you know, towards my junior, senior year, it seemed like banking was the hot thing to do for people who wanted a career in business. Uh, to be, to be perfectly candid, had no idea what banking was. <laughs> but uh, Like a lot uh, of did, us, like a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. You grow up and you think, well, you know, banking is kind of the, you know, you go to a teller, you go to an ATM, but there's a whole other industry kind of behind all of that. Right. So yeah, I, um, I decided to invest in making. I've always been kind of a very finance and numbers oriented guy, at least kind of at a macro level that always made sense to me. Um, so after college, I, um, I worked at Parella Weinberg Partners, which is a boutique bank. There's offices, of of course, kind of across the world, but I worked out of San Francisco focusing on tech M&A, and we covered a pretty broad range of both sectors within tech as well as kind of types of companies, both from, you know, large well-known blue chip names to small startups. Um, Yeah. So I did a couple of years at Perella, um, worked on a number of different types of transactions. It was a great learning experience, but I've never really considered myself a long-term banker. Um, I thought the industry was a great way to ramp up on, you know, certain kind of skills and foundations, but I've always wanted to get to that next layer deeper, right? It's, it's great to advise companies on how they should, should think about capital raises and M&A, but it's different where you're kind of sitting in the driver's seat and really kind of thinking about that at a more strategic level and being able to make an impact at that level, right? So I knew I wanted to jump to tech and corporate. Um, and luckily for me, obviously, within you know, San Francisco and Bay Area, there's a lot of great tech companies that are you know, growing quickly, trying to become more inquisitive. I, um, I jumped after a couple of years to Twitter. I was on their finance and M&A team. For a couple of years worked on a number of different types of things, um, including, you know, we we made an investment in a music company called SoundCloud, and we worked on a number of different uh Yeah, uh, SoundCloud's big, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's a cool community. Um, obviously not at the scale of Spotify, but really a lot of unique content um on that platform. So very much uh you know, fit the, the cultural vibe that over there at Twitter. Um, I was at Twitter for two years and then jumped over to Dropbox where I was, you know, an early member of their corporate development team. Um, I think a theme for me was always, I love working at companies where I use the product, right. Um, I am a Twitter user. I've been a Dropbox user since college. So I understand the product. I like the product and that's, uh, that's kind of a recurring theme as I kind of continue on my career journey. But, um, yeah, I was at Dropbox for, for two years as well, helped them kind of ramp up the M&A efforts there, worked on a couple of acquisitions and, uh, and partnerships as well. Um, and yeah, I think you know, about, about two years ago, I started getting an itch you know, within tech. There's always, there's so much growth and so much disruption going on. And um, by no means are Twitter and Dropbox companies that are you know, mature and no longer disruptive, but uh, you always kind of want to go earlier stage, always work out in your platform somewhere that's a little bit unstructured. So I decided to look earlier stage and FinTech has always been an interest of mine, especially on the consumer side, just a lot of innovation really in that space to be had. Um, And I feel like we're still very much in the early innings of that. So um, I joined a FinTech, uh, consumer FinTech called Chime, um, was their first strategy and corporate development hire. at the time, it was a fairly small company, just 150 people, uh, probably at the stage where they're starting to think about, you know, hiring the first corp dev person and, hey, maybe we should start making more acquisitions. So, uh, yeah, I've been here for about a year and a half. It's been a great, great ride so far. It's, the company is doing, you know, amazing, amazing things. That's so cool, man.
0: Well, very impressive background. I want to start all the way back um, at Berkeley. So, yeah. kind of, you started school right after, like, as the global financial crisis finally had hit the bottom. And so I'm curious, I would think that people kind of that started college around when you did, wouldn't kind of be you know putting investment banking at the top of their list. Were you always thinking like finance was for you? I know you said you're good at numbers, and all this stuff, and you didn't really know what it was in college. Like like most of us, it's just kind of a good path. Um, I'd love to hear like you were an econ major. You probably didn't have like the finance courses, the accounting courses, tell me a little bit about just like the decision to even apply to these, these roles and what that whole recruiting process was like, like, did you have an internship? What was it like?
1: Yeah. Yeah, of course. I would say I was a bit of a late bloomer. Um, I, uh, when I joined college, I, uh, I wanted to be an engineer. And then after my first semester taking an engineering course, intro to engineering of all courses, I was like, all right, I'm not cut out for engineering. And then I decided to switch to Environmental science and policy management did a did a semester of that also did not feel like it really fit my personality either. Uh, and econ was kind of like a broad broad major, right? It's it's a combination of qualitative and quantitative. Uh, it's broadly applicable, right? It's it's a skill set that you can always leverage in a number of different kind of career paths. So I thought that always made sense. It's a little bit of finance, a little bit of macro, a little bit of qualitative thinking. Um, But I had really no idea, to be honest. I think, you know, midway through college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Luckily, there's a pretty, pretty vibrant business community within Berkeley, right? It's a, it's a large school um, and one that had a very big presence in terms of business, right? They had an undergraduate business administration program. And even a lot of people who weren't in that program were always thinking about business, you know, particularly, you know, consulting, accounting, finance. So I met a lot of other folks, you know, a lot of my classmates were interested. They had a much more kind of guided uh, opinion about what they want to do with their, with their life. So I feel like that kind of rubbed off on me, right? I had a chance to kind of learn from them. Like, okay, there's was your family, not in finance. No, they're engineers. which is just why I started my career and, uh, or my, uh, my, my college, uh, was it just crazy competition
0: there? I assume it was like just brilliant people.
1: Oh Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's not just true for engineering, it's true for a lot of the majors at Berkeley, but in engineering, I'm like, I I knew immediately, I'm not cut out for this relative to some of the people that were in my classes, right? That's in the Uh, intro 101. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) exactly.
0: These people are on another
1: level. Yeah.
0: Very good. So tell me a little bit about just uh, once you kind of came around to you're like, oh, well, econ's interesting. I enjoy the class a little bit more. It has that blend, which kind of suits you well. And then people were like started telling you about investment banking. How did you hear about it? And did you get that junior summer internship?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think junior is when I first started taking it pretty seriously. I felt like I had a pretty good grasp of what investment banking was. I mean, as much of a grasp as someone who's a college junior could have back then, um, obviously the Wall Street Oasis forums was a great resource for that as well. Cause I'm like, wow, there's a lot of people that talk about this. I know you were a troll (laughs) back then. I'm just kidding. I was a troll for sure. (laughs) Kind of just quietly lurking in the background. Um, but yeah, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of my friends were going to recruit for consulting and banking. So we, we definitely prep together. We did, you know, cases together. We, um, Read all the different guides. I, you know, the Wall Street Oasis guide, of course, and then mergers and inquisitions kind of all the standard stuff. Yeah, um, I feel like back then it's a little bit easier. I feel like kids nowadays are probably doing internships, you know, before they're even going to college, and you know, during the spring and the fall. But back then, it's you know, you get a summer internship, ideally maybe an unpaid internship in your sophomore year, but then by junior year, you really seriously recruit, right? So, I um, my junior year, I landed at a at a middle market firm called Stiefel. I Did a summer there uh it was a great way to just like really uh understand like, okay, this is actually what investment making is. Right. And I, I felt like I had a much better grasp of like, yeah, I one, I can do this. And two, I actually do want to do this as my first job out of college. Right. It was kind of good soul searching and discovery for myself. And then coming back to Was same, that was yeah, that SF? Yeah, SF based as well.
0: And then was it uh tell me what the like was the recruiting process like where they're like resume drops on campus and then like you get selected so tell me about your like numbers was it like 20 banks you dropped it you got like 10 interview 10 interviews and like two offers or how did it how did it come out
1: yeah um remember roughly i mean yeah yeah so you know berkeley is a target school for a lot of banks especially if you have an sf based office right you're going to recruit at berkeley stanford ucla usc typically on the west coast um So yeah we had a we had a career center you can apply online for different banks you know they all kind of pop up at the same time there's probably you know there's obviously like the 10 15 names everybody knows and there's kind of a longer tail of some middle markets some boutique banks out there as well i obviously dropped my resume everywhere because i know it's a numbers game uh i probably dropped my resume at 20 different places got four or five first round interviews was fortunate to convert one i was by no means like crushing it in my junior year. Wait, wait
0: a second. You got out of the 20, you got four to five first interviews. So that, that means that engineering course might've actually hurt you because the GPA was not like a three, eight.
1: Yeah, it, it is. I, I think that's right. Um, especially within like the business community, people typically have three, seven, three, eights. Right. So like, you had
0: like a three, three going into this or three, five? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: You're pretty close. I was yeah. not a, I was not a stellar student. Well, um, was, I'm just
0: seeing the conversion. Right. And I'm like, okay, that means that you know um that means you're probably fighting an uphill battle right but yeah it's good you got those interviews and you were prepped right it sounds like so tell me how did you convert like from the four or five first rounds
1: yeah so my gpa was not stellar my i think my experience was also not light but definitely not as stacked as some of my as my classmates so i knew i had to be aggressive that i couldn't count on okay the bulge brackets are going to get back to me or these these banks are going to get back to me i had to just apply everywhere and uh, prep really, really hard, right? I, I did a ton of kind of, you know, interviews with my friends, you know, we would prep each other. Uh, we would try to trade questions if we kind of got them from a certain bank, right? Like, okay, this is what I heard from Deutsche Bank or this is what I heard from City.
0: Yeah, by the way, people can access the company database. If you look at the company database, we have over, I think 5,000, 10,000, which is a little plug there. I think over 10,000 questions or more now. No, sorry, like 30,000 questions. Uh, yeah, for like investment banking interviews in <laughs> our database so it's basically unlimited um but it's by company by by position ton of summer analyst
1: interview questions. yeah that's really helpful man um i think yeah i was definitely like lurking the forums too and sometimes i'll see some questions from certain banks I'm like oh my god i have no idea how to answer that right and it's kind of back to the drawing board how you figure that out but yeah i mean like i didn't do anything special i think just prep my answers i knew there's going to be a series of 10 to 20 questions that, you know, I think 80% of interviews are going to ask some combination of those, right? So really nailing it down. I think the hardest part for me was like, answering, okay, why this bank? Or like, you know, why invest in banking and not giving a very generic answer, right? Uh, It's easy to say, like, why Goldman or why Morgan It's like, okay, well, these are, you know, premium, premium banks, right? It's easy. You say you can have the best deal experience, you work with the Top top people. are like why steeple and you it's a little bit harder. Like cause... it's a little bit harder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I still think there's a good answer for that, right? I think there's a level of exposure and that you can get at some of these other banks. Um, you can get a better deal experience. You can work with great people still. There's a lot of very talented people in the industry. Sometimes right? you
0: work directly with a VP and so like there's no associate because they're yeah. lean.
1: Yeah. That's exactly. True. Exactly. But it's hard to know that coming in, right? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just hard to know that.
0: Cool. Okay. So you're Doing all these interviews, you do four interviews, you end up with just the Stifo offer or do you have another offer? Just a steeple offer. Okay. Yeah. So you were like, yeah, I made it. <laughs> I got something. Do so you have that summer internship? Um, and yeah, was that like? Was it heavy hours, like your typical summer summer analyst position? And then um, were you able to convert it or did you have to go into senior year kind of with nothing?
1: Um, yeah. So I had a really good summer experience. I was placed into um kind of the telecom side of the team or network technology team, uh, which is the strongest team there, right? They had a lot of do activity and I was lucky to get placed there, I I think. Um, And yeah, I mean, the hours are tough, but nothing out of the ordinary. I think typically six days a week, um, occasionally get a Sunday off and then you work from nine to midnight typically, sometimes a little bit earlier, sometimes a little bit later. Uh, Nothing that I wasn't warned about coming in. Uh, It wasn't like 120 hours for the entire summer, uh, but it was a really good experience. Had to work worked on a few projects, and they were also, um, I think maybe just given the culture of the office, you know, they were very, you know, intern friendly. They try to promote our growth. They try to kind of challenge us and get us excited about the work too, right? They had a little project, end of the summer project for each one of us that we get to present in front of, you know, some MDs and VPs, uh, which was you know fun and a little bit scary at first. But you know, they they kind of cared about that, right? They want to make sure that people felt included, even the interns. So. I did get a I did get a return offer. I did pretty I did really well in my summer, um, but I thought you know for me I felt like I had enough of a grasp on the industry that I definitely when I came back to school wanted to test the markets a little bit more, right? I've always you know very much believed in my abilities, and not that steeple wouldn't be a great place to launch my career, but I wanted to see what else was out there, so I came back for full time recruiting. I did they just, give yeah.
0: you a uh, an exploding offer, or were you able to kind of shop it a little bit?
1: It was not an exploding offer, but by the time recruiting kind of started a ramp up for other banks, it had expired. You had Um, to let it go. I did have to let it go before you had anything else lined up. Ooh, gold,
0: gold man. Yeah, (laughs) I'm typically
1: not a risky person, especially coming out of the financial
0: (laughs) crisis. You know, we're only like three three years removed from like the depth of of that. Yeah, I think I was just
1: young and you know stupid probably to some extent. That's stupid. You you believed in yourself.
0: Um, Yeah. So tell me how that were things kind of looking up had you pulled your GPA up a little higher where you're getting more first rounds on the on the full-time or were like most of the slots filled by interns and there wasn't much left for full yeah
1: i think full-time recruiting is a bit of a different animal than uh junior year summer recruiting right it's um especially if you've already done a, a pretty significant junior year internship like that's validation from the market like hey i intern at this bank they gave me an offer i got good reviews uh the gpa becomes less of a factor at that point right gpa for for most banks, it's just an indicator. If you don't know anything about a person and they had limited working experience, it's like, okay, like that's a proxy for how maybe intelligent or hardworking someone is, right? Uh, but by the time you've already validated yourself with work experience, like real working experience, that becomes much smaller of a factor. So my GPA was a little bit better by the by starting my senior year, but still like no one's going to like be wowed by it, right? right? But I think it's really that internship that gave me kind of a leg up for full-time recruiting. And I think full-time recruiting is both harder and easier in a way. It's easier in a way because a lot of people have already um, accepted full-time offers right coming back from their junior internships so the pool of candidates are recruiting are going to be it's going to be a little bit less competitive right um
0: there's less banks too right looking there's also
1: less spots so that's what makes it harder so you have to really stand out from the competition so what do you think like
0: in in for like summer analyst recruiting at least back then would you say they were pulling like 30 or 40 people in for analyst spots like summer analyst spots and then the full-time senior year they're only looking for like five to ten something like that
1: yeah i think whatever the number of spots you're trying to hire for probably multiply that by eight to ten that's how many first round interviews you probably want to be doing yeah yeah it's interesting
0: so yeah so your hit rate on actual interviews though for full-time seats you had the you had good deal experience you had a good summer you had yeah were you smart enough to indicate on your resume that you had received an offer <laughs> uh, <laughs> or did you think that would
1: look cheesy i think i i i think i did i i actually didn't think it was cheesy because i think that's actually one of the most important things to yeah, highlight yeah. right that like i did a successful enough job that they wanted me back
0: offer extended a, or
1: something like that exactly like, you know, exactly and i will, you know and that's that's gonna be the first thing that they're gonna ask you anyways and in an interview it's like well did you get a return offer uh, and you have to be candid about that, right? That's, there's no point in hiding that. So there's no, there's no harm in uh, in highlighting that fact for sure. Cool. Okay, so you
0: managed to recruit and tell me about that whole process. So again, you dropped at 20 places or to maybe just 10 this time because <laughs> there wasn't as many and what did it what it look like?
1: Yeah, so I, I felt like I was in a decent enough spot. I didn't feel like I had to just get a job anywhere because now that I've had some experience under me, I kind of know what I'm talking about. I can talk about specific project and deal experience. Um, I have a better, more visibility into like what I'm actually trying to get out of my full-time job, right? So I think I probably dropped at 10 places and this time more focused on, you know, the bulge brackets and a few different boutiques that I held in high regard. And yeah, the hit rate this time was much better. Like I I think I got at least a first round everywhere. I converted at least 50% of my first rounds into final rounds.
0: Nice. And then how many offers did you end up one or two?
1: Well, I just got one because I interviewed parella fairly early in that process. Uh, I got an offer on Friday, had a few more super days the following Monday, and they asked me to take the offer over the weekend. And, you know, that's totally valid. Again, you don't want to lose out on candidates, right? So um, for me, I, I really liked the team. I thought it was a good firm. Uh, I like the lean kind of nature and structure of it. So, it's a great firm. yeah yeah Yeah. so i thought you know be foolish not to say yes like what am i optimizing for here right that's just (laughs) a lot of risk for very little upside so yeah i like the team a lot so i I decided to go with them
0: nice um at this stage so you're you're basically signing on the dotted line they're paying you what like a ten thousand dollar signing bonus or 15 or something like that and then what 75 base 80 base at that point i can't even remember yeah
1: yeah it got a lot higher as i became a second year i think the whole industry started bumping to like 90 or something yeah yeah yeah, something like 95 for first years but i was like 75 for first years when i first started was good I, i thought i was like a little bit above market uh but yeah that's that's the high level of it
0: nice and so you're there for a good two years doing m a um you know some some strategic transactions stuff like that and tell me a little bit about just uh you know how it evolved like did you feel like that internship experience had prepped you well? Or was there like a heavy ramp up period? Cause you were an econ major. You didn't have the finance and accounting background. Like, was it really tough the first five or six months? For me it was. Um, so I'm just curious for you what it was like. Yeah.
1: Um, I actually did take some finance and accounting courses oh, at, you did. at Berkeley. Yeah, I did. We were more well-prepared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But sometimes I feel like most of my foundation was built off, built off of the Wall Street Oasis guides. Like, how do you even get to what is EBITDA? How do you get a lever free cash flow? All that stuff I feel like I learned from the guys and from my friends. But um, yeah, I, I would say the, the internship prepped me well. I think not just the technicals, but also like the expectation, right? That you have to be highly detail-oriented, that you have to get things done, right? You have to understand what your role within the team is, right? So I think that all prepped me well. Um, obviously, you know, the first year of banking especially is a very kind of aggressive ramp up period. Like there's no amount of internships I could prepare you for a full year of of doing that. Right. And not just as an intern, but as actually like a very, very critical full-time member of the team. So that was obviously tough, but it's nothing unusual within industry. Like, um, it's more so a burden of like being able to manage different expectations, timelines, um, you know just getting everything done rather than how, how big the is concept the how, how big is the office out here it was i think eight people when i joined i think today it's pretty like small. 30. it's, yeah, uh, it's it was changed pretty a lot small,
0: yeah. wow it was pretty small back then okay yeah yeah interesting is there i think there is it their boston office the main office they have a new york office? new york is okay um cool okay so you're you're kind of going through your two years crazy heavy ramp up it's long hours it's tough as expected but you're learning probably a ton mm-hmm. that second year or when do you start kind of thinking well, you know i'm gonna go private equity or you know at this stage i remember 2013 is like it was already accelerating so you were probably already there were probably fellow analysts kind of talking about that and what were your what was your thought process in terms of where you wanted to go next
1: yeah it definitely changed when i first started banking it was very much I had to do private equity, right? I actually didn't even know why myself. It's just that it seemed like the natural next step, right? It's you're a banker, the and path. then you go to exactly, the <laughs> exactly. I feel like I didn't truly start thinking for myself until a few years ago, but you know, it just felt like the natural progression. And uh, I, I definitely this, interviewed this it, podcast but, yeah. is
0: actually really the whole point of the episode podcast is to kind of highlight different paths and so yeah. I think you know it's important to highlight your path too because so many people are just like I need to go IBDP which is it's great it's an amazing career right? it's what I did um, but there's like so many other ways to do well and, and and be happy and stuff like that so yeah
1: sorry continue just want to yeah right yeah no I think that's absolutely right I mean there's there's so many things you can do with that foundation right like I think 10-20 years ago maybe P felt like not the only choice, but the best choice, right? But now, depending, there's just so many like, especially within tech now. It's a very vibrant kind of you know industry. There's just a lot of cool jobs you can do beyond just being a PE, P guy, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, like I, at least I very much started with that mentality. Like I want to do PE. I talked to all the different headhunters. I you know interviewed a bunch of different PE shops. And I was never really excited about it, right? I I went through the processes, there are these like small offices with like 10 or 20 people, everyone's in their own office, it's quiet, like you could hear a pin drop. And I I, I, I was excited because I'm like, okay, this is a good opportunity, but I never felt personally excited by it, right? So I think kind of towards the end of my first year, especially beginning of my second year of banking, I started thinking like, what about corporate? Like, I, I think there's a lot of cool corporate jobs out there, a lot of cool tech companies. I had friends who had transitioned from banking to tech um, in like finance or corp dev type roles. I would visit them sometimes during like their company's happy hour. Yeah, it's a thing. Like this happy hours are pretty common within tech uh, prior to COVID. And I would just go, I'm like in my banking outfit, you know, button up shirt with my like banker bag and I would go and everyone's wearing t-shirts and, you know, there's people riding scooters around the office and there's, you know, whiskey <laughs> and beer flowing everywhere. I'm like, Oh my God, like, what is this world? This felt crazy to me. Like why would anybody do private equity or whatever when you can, you know, have such a vibrant, happy kind of atmosphere. Right. Um, so as so I think at that point, I started thinking about it more seriously. Like I'm like, it'd be really fun to work at like a 2000 3000 person company, you know, building, really cool piece of technology that everyone you know uses and um, not have to work 80 to 90 hour weeks and uh yeah so i started interviewing a lot of different tech companies and i think for me before before we jump
0: there let's talk a little bit about the pe stuff like you you did go through some processes did you um did you get make it to like final rounds on any of them to like what what was it like any firm do you remember specifically was it all west coast like you wanted to stay here right yeah, mostly West Coast. I did have any growth equity. Any growth equity shops and stuff?
1: Yeah, I um mostly just PE, a couple of growth, like iconic, um, and then but mostly like middle market PE shops. Um, I felt like maybe I didn't quite have the pedigree to go, you know, to the mega PE shops, right? Like I um I don't know. Because I, I, I again I'm like I I, wasn't, I didn't even have that much conviction that I wanted to do PE. So I thought, okay, maybe I'll test the waters a little bit with the middle market shots. I'd had a number of final rounds. I didn't necessarily close any of them. And I think I probably would have joined if I did, right? I think i will probably been like, okay, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. I That's should just join. what I have join.
0: to do. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> um, I think looking back now, I would have gone probably harder into growth equity. I think that is a type of investment structure and product that probably fits my skill set and my personality the best. Um, so if I had to do it again, I'd probably look at the top growth shops a little bit more actively. I think itself probably wasn't nearly as interesting to me. Probably look, take a deeper look at the iconics of the world. Um, what about VC? I, um, I think it depends, right? VC there's a broad spectrum depending on stage and focus. I don't see myself as a very early stage person. I think, again, it's, it's about your own aptitude and about what type of work you like working on. I I like doing financial work. I like doing true due diligence, right? It's not about, I met these founders and I feel like they could be a great, this could be the next Zuckerberg or the next Elon Musk, but it's, I like actually working with numbers and understanding what the story that the numbers are trying to tell, right? And I think at growth, especially, there's a level of just like opportunity ahead for these companies that's exciting, but at the same time, it's still grounded in technical analysis, which I think would fit the type of work I enjoy doing the most. Um, I think, kind of, the financial engineering aspect of private equity probably was never that appealing to me. Um, you know, acquiring assets that,
0: you know, Set off cash flow, levering up the debt. Right,
1: exactly. Your like large auto dealerships, you know, and yeah. uh, turning 3XC Matt over five years. That's not really appealing to me. I'd rather bet on the next, you know, Snapchat or Twitter or Facebook, right? I think that to me was much more appealing.
0: Okay, so you're kind of coming up through your second year. You get some, you get pretty far in some PE, middle market PE shops, doesn't convert. Do you feel like the headhunters were giving you looks, though they're still giving you chances because you're making it to final rounds? Or were did you feel like that lack of conviction was hurting you?
1: Yeah, I was still getting looks. Um, I was still converting pretty well on first rounds. That's I what think. I'm saying.
0: If you're doing that, they yeah. probably
1: keep feeding you because they know you're a place. Yeah, like I wouldn't embarrass them, right? Take yeah, me In exactly. front of a client, that's a big deal. <laughs> it's like, why'd you send me this guy? <laughs> like, no, I wasn't. I I hopefully was not in that tier.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so you, but this is now kind of coming into year two, that at, uh, Perella, and you're you're at the stage where you've done a, a bunch of processes, and you're thinking, okay, what else is there? You're having a good time at all these happy hours, and so how did you go? How did you go about thinking of like, okay, Twitter is a right fit for me, or like. How do you even know? Because, like, there's so, especially in the Bay Area, there's so many of these. Like, why not Facebook? Why not Google? Why not Dropbox initially? Like, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. About how you thought about that. Cause it's, I think that's a tough decision, right? Not knowing what the internal, you you see all the happy hours and stuff, but like, you guys still have to work some, right? (laughs) So, (laughs) like, you know, what is it really like? You know, what's the culture really like? So, can you tell me a little bit about that and how you went about it?
1: Yeah. I would say it is hard. Um, because I, I'm not going to say like buy side is homogenous. It's not by any means. Your experience at firm to firm will differ, but at a high level, they all operate in a very similar manner, right? But a tech company is very different. They're just very, very different stages, very, very different types of industries within technology. And even at similar companies within tech, you've got two tech companies that look hourly the same, but their core debt teams might have a very different mandate, a very different you know, approach to how they think about M&A and strategy and finance right so um honestly a lot of it you don't really know until you're in the interview process and you are able to test the other side about how they operate as a team and how they think about the strategy for the company um the other good thing uh, the other resources you know i was lucky you know i went to berkeley a ton of my classmates and friends were in the Area. a lot of them went into tech right so I had a chance to speak with a lot of them. Like, hey, what was your experience at at Dropbox? What's your experience like like at Twitter? Um, You know, finance, business operations, products, kind of a very broad spectrum. Um, But yeah, like get their thoughts. Like, what is it like working at this company? Like, what do you like about it? What do you you like about it? What would you not expect? Um, But at the end of the day, I think you just have to kind of go through the process yourself a lot of times. You know, you get to speak with the recruiters, get a sense for what the team is looking for. And then think to yourself, like, what is your criteria? Like, why do you want to jump to tech? Like, what types of tech companies are interesting to you? Uh, what type of work, you know, do I want to be doing at that company? Right? Am I trying to just grind out deals? If you're trying to grind out deals, and yeah, you should join like a Salesforce or Oracle or Cisco that do twenty deals a year. Do you like being a part of like a scrappy early stage team? Then maybe you should be looking at a Series C company, Series B company that's looking for their first or second finance hire. Right. So. I kind of found myself somewhere in the middle right yes, like so a company so, that so twitter had, was
0: kind of in the middle where they weren't raising like a bunch of money anymore right or they yeah they yeah. had just gone public they just gone public okay so like that was that was it they they weren't like doing any more series whatever ef yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at that stage um was it profitable at that point or no or close approaching yeah, yeah approaching. approaching it and so at that point though like how big was the the M&A team within Twitter or, or you know, proxy, you don't think the exact numbers, but just like, is it like five people? Is it like 30? Like, I have no idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, yeah. Yeah. And then and yeah. then how were you thinking of that? And like your place in it, like coming out of an investment banking analyst stint, like where were they, where did they place you in the, in the whole hierarchy of, of that group?
1: Yeah. Um, the team was about eight to 10 across like the entire kind of spectrum of M&A, right? From strategy to sourcing, execution, and integration. Um, I, you know, as a second year banking analyst, I came in, you know, kind of at the very junior level, right? Most of the people that they're recruiting, like core dev teams will never recruit someone out of college. I'm not saying it will never happen, but it's rare. They're looking for people who are coming from banking or coming from other core dev teams, like people who understand how these things work, who have that MA skill set, right? So I came in, you know, at the very most junior level, my responsibilities primarily were for financial modeling and due diligence, right? Stuff that I was obviously very good at and worked with more senior team members who were more in charge of the negotiation process, the sourcing process, defining the strategy. Um, and yeah, so working kind of hand in hand with them around that.
0: Yeah, you're still kind of like almost jumping. It's like a buy-side role though, right? So you still it's yeah. a little bit different because whereas in banking, you're yeah, you're helping manage the process like in when you're in-house you're now like responsible for like actually looking at it as is it actually a good investment or not, I'm not trying to sell it, right? So tell me how that, what was that transition like? Like they didn't care about like if your PowerPoint was perfectly aligned or the comma was in a certain thing, but they cared more about like the numbers being right. So tell me, was it was that like a big transition? Like were your bosses like, uh, did they also come from a banking background or were they from somewhere else and they just wanted to know like, I guess, how did they measure you?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um. Yeah, so 90% of core debt people probably have some banking background. Um, yeah, I think it's starting to become more diversified. Um, in certain cases, having a technical background is actually useful for evaluation of new products and technologies. But for the most part, you're gonna see a lot of bankers. Um, and yeah, I would say the work itself is similar at a high level, but also very different. Um, you're absolutely right. Like it's in banking, you're trying to pitch deals. Your goal is just to get a deal done and get a big fee from it. Right. So you're gonna pitch big ideas. Most of them probably don't make sense. You just wanna get it done, right? Because you're you're not measuring success based off of what the accretion really will be for the company where the strategic value, you're gonna measure it based off of what can I put on a tombstone and how much fees am I gonna get from it? Right? I I know that's not how all bankers think, but at a high level it is the strategy of the of the you're business. They're right? in sales. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, but the difference is and this might be even, yeah, within Corp Dev and company, I think it's even more different than even the buy side, right? Because in the buy side, you have to make smart, sound investment decisions. But your ultimate goal is just pure financial value accretion. But there might be different criteria and different strategies within a corporate environment. There might be types of deals that you do that you can't measure purely on a ir basis right like, like it's might strategic
0: be de- like competitive reason like even though yes the, the deal financially is not a great deal it actually helps you corner a market or something like that
1: exactly exactly that or even like more tactical like hey we need like
0: how facebook goes like uh, they should antitrust yeah. the issues when they acquire instagram what's that yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: it's like yeah, really exactly. smart if they get away with it if they can do it right but like then there's there's concern right so right
1: right like it's it's like you know whatsapp right they they bought that for 20 billion dollars would a growth investor ever invested that never 20 billion no they would never maybe maybe today (laughs) i think everyone could get a 20 billion dollar valuation today but no they would not have done that right but even like practically, like we need a specific type of engineering talent that has this background and this area of machine learning Like we need to acquire into it because it's impossible to hire that. Or we need a specific piece of technology that would accelerate a particular roadmap by three to six months or six to 12 months, right? Stuff that's like very difficult to measure from a financial model, but you know has strategic value. So that's like the difference in thinking, right? There's a lot of different types of deals you can do in a corporate environment that have a lot of different types of impact. And you have to be able to kind of think about how do you approach that deal like how do we think about roi justification how do we think about integration it's going to be very very different for a lot of different types of deals right it's not always about buying a smaller business and thinking about the revenue multiple and either that multiple like it's it's multiple expansion
0: like we're going to buy it at 5x and sell it at 10x exactly roll it up (laughs) do a roll up seconds. Yeah. yeah not all about that there is some of that i'm sure because obviously the multiples that uh that you know, whatever Twitter's trading at or Facebook's trading at are are especially now insane. So let's come down in a little bit. Uh, <laughs> um, but sorry, one sec. So um, I guess what was the thought process in terms of like, or what was your trajectory there? So then, what, why, why move to another corp dev? Um, why not move up within there? Why jump to to a Dropbox? Is it more like you wanted to change the scenery? What was the what was the rationale? When did you kind of start looking, and what was that process like?
1: Yeah, um, I think for me, I, I think kind of a recurring theme of my career is that I wanted to do more, right? I, I think after a couple years at Twitter, maybe like a year and a half into the job, um, I mean, it's a pretty big team. I, I thought we had maybe a pretty large team for maybe the amount of M&A activity that we're contemplating. And it felt like maybe I wouldn't get as much exposure as I would for to join a leaner team. Right. And I think for me, one, Dropbox has always been very high on my list of companies that I kind of respected and held in high regard. Did you ever look at
0: going to Dropbox before? Had you been in a process with them before?
1: I think I did interview with them when I was in banking for a non-corp dev role, but that was like a long, long time ago. Okay. Um, but yeah, but that's like, that's like one of the companies where, you know, I went to their office and I was just blown away by yeah, yeah. the kind of environment there, right? And a lot of my friends always talked very like fondly about, you know, their time at Dropbox as well. Again, it's it's a lot of it, It's just about, you know, who in your network has worked somewhere and what do they think about that business and where it's heading, right? So.
0: so like at Twitter, it was a pretty, still a pretty small team, but it was just more like the the pace and the, the amount of deals that were coming through wasn't at somewhere where you felt like, okay, if I stay here, like there's, there's no path up. I'm either at this position and go to business school. Do I really want to go to business school? I assume you thought of like MBA, like maybe that's tell me about that whole thought process. Like, Oh man, I don't want to go to spend $300,000 on an MBA.
1: Yeah. Oh. Um, it's funny because I was actually debating between going to Dropbox and going to business school. I had uh, been accepted at a business school. I was considering going to Kellogg at Northwestern. Um, but then I was thinking, I'm like, oh, my God, like, what am I going to business school for? Like, I kind of know what I want to do. Like, what? I mean, I'm surely it would have been a great experience, but does the opportunity cost really make sense here? Right. So I started panicking, actually, about like going, having to go to business school around April. I'm like, oh, my God, I guess I have to go in two months. And then um, I got reached out to actually by a headhunter which is actually very rare. Most most tech companies do not use headhunters to source roles, even for things like corp dev. Um, so they reached out to me, it's a headhunter firm that I had worked with before. Um, and they said, look, Dropbox is looking for their second corp dev hire. And at that time, Twitter, especially like, the company wasn't super acquisitive at that time. They're going through some restructuring. Um, we had a pretty large corp dev team. So I thought, you know, this is actually what I'm looking for. Like more responsibility, a leaner team, at a company that I really, really liked and admired. And um I think it would be a great kind of growth opportunity for me um there. Right. It How could did be, you get
0: comfortable that they were going to be acquisitive enough, even as number two, you know, there?
1: Yeah. Um I think one, just the fact that they had two people meant like even if they had fifty percent of the volume that Twitter had, yeah. like I would be seeing You're still two to three X more work. Right. Uh, <laughs> fair, fair. Yeah. And um especially at that time, Dropbox was Like in a really strong position, like growing really quickly, had a very lucrative and profitable business from a casual perspective, was probably going to go public soon and was a brand that people knew in tech, right? Um, So
0: has, is there ever a a business, a tech business like that is profitable before they go? public? I mean, I know Facebook was because they waited so long and stuff like that. But the majority of them are losing money, right? But <laughs> When they go public and they're like, yeah. well, their revenue is like this, but th- their their earnings are like this.
1: <laughs> yeah. Tell me
0: about that. Like, you know, was there ever like some sort of unicorn out there? Was Was Dropbox closer to it where like you saw really crazy growth, but like it wasn't so, I mean, I don't know, probably wasn't positive earnings because they're probably dumping so much into growth. But tell me a little bit about how you think about that as like somebody who comes from a banking background, maybe a little more conservative, and. Maybe <laughs> the company's not making any money.
1: Yeah. I, I, I've i been in like the SF bubble for so long. I always like kind of wonder like, how do people outside of technology perceive what we're doing here? Right. Cause like, oh, these, this company's like worth $40 billion. They're not nearly close to profitable. They're
0: losing 200 million a year. Yeah. Or exactly.
1: <laughs> right. It could even be billions. Right. Like I, I've always wondered about that. And I think you just have to have a different mindset. It's really about, you have to look very far out, right? What is the potential of this company? In five or ten years, right? And can they capture outsized market share? Can they actually leverage technology to do that? And if they can, then what is the true earnings potential of that company, right? It's, it's probably huge if you kind of pick the right company. For me, Dropbox wasn't that risky. Like they had already kind of built a very um, powerful business model, right? Um, very efficient with its uh, Did not lean on sales and marketing for growth as much as you know their peers. Um, the
0: amazing yeah. referral network. I've heard I've read about that.
1: Like they exactly. Exactly. Uh,
0: you get more space if you invite your friend. Like really smart.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. I mean they had more users than pretty much every social network outside of Facebook. Right. Which is crazy in in, in the SaaS world. It's very much like a consumer business within kind of a SaaS ecosystem, which which is that uh, was appealing. So yeah. Um so, I didn't think it was a risky move at all. And um, it was going to be a step up for me uh, in terms of responsibility. I thought, you know, it made a lot of sense.
0: It may, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Tell me a little bit about how you think about joining a tech company like this. Like, pre IPO was Twitter pre IPO before you went? And was that like a big carrot where they're like, hey, we're going to give you options and we're going public in a year? Like, how did they communicate that to you? And how should you, how much value should you give that? Because um, I've had friends out here who were like working at, Large, large ones, and they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna go public," and it's like three years later, right? And yeah. Like, so tell me how sh- how you should discount those options and think about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. Um, so I mean, I I joined Twitter right after IPO, and I joined Dropbox right before IPO. So very much like it was kind of a sure thing. Like nothing's a sure thing, but it was as close to a sure thing as you can have. So I wasn't gonna get crazy upside. And we work showed nothing's a sure <laughs> thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, there's always going to be a work out there. Uh, yeah. But um, for me, like it wasn't a gamble, really. Like it was, I was not given a package. I was going to have 10x upside, but it was also going to have very minimal downside. Right. So I didn't have to overthink that too much. It was pretty much equivalent to an offer package if I were joining a public company uh obviously a little bit more upside, maybe a little bit more risk but kind of within those bounds but it's more difficult like the can we, more can we early talk stage about, you go to can we yeah. talk
0: about pay just kind of going through so you're probably making like what 130 your first year out of school at Pirella? yeah um, i don't know 150 maybe i don't know they pay pretty well i think but maybe a little bit more 150 160 max um and then second year i assume they didn't dock you did you tell them you were leaving before to twitter before you got your bonus or it was like bonus uh, hit and you're like, bye.
1: <laughs> yeah, I um I I did I did let them know. I told them like in April and uh, bonuses came in June, but I had a good relationship with them. Like they're like, okay, well, you know, this is the earliest day you can leave and still get your kind of full bonus. Yeah. Uh and I essentially quit that day and started the week after, right yeah. at Twitter. You didn't um, have a break, unfortunately.
0: But okay, so no. and then Tell me about like pay going to the m and because oftentimes um, it can be a pretty big pay cut, right? Going from like the finance world to you know, in-house. Was it a big, like I assumed the base was somewhat like around a hundred, um, but was bonus like gone and it was just all in options at this point? Or was it like, how should how should we think about that? And you can give a range, it doesn't have to be like, this is what I got paid, yeah.
1: Yeah, um, of course, so you're right. I think salary typically, um, within corporate and banking, especially at the more junior levels are gonna be pretty comparable, right? Um, so if you're two years out of banking, you're probably looking at 100, maybe upwards of 120 base. Um, there, Some companies have a cash bonus program. It's never gonna be like anything near what a banking bonus would be. Maybe 10 to 15% of your salary would be an annual bonus and contingent on performance. And then the last component would be you know, stock, right? And then the way they do it is, uh, it's a four-year grant. You get the full first-year grant after your first year. And then every quarter after that, you vest another, you know, one sixteen. right? So, um, yeah. So, I mean, again, you know, and how, how much, how much, yeah. Like, how do you even value that?
0: I, I mean, I know they give you a strike price or something, yeah. right? On those options. So, then,
1: like, yeah, how do I? Yeah. So, public companies and even companies are, that are approaching public will typically, not grant stock options anymore. It will be RCUs. So it's like a stock option, but with a $0 strike price. So it's essentially just a share, (laughs) right? Yeah. Um, So you can, you can, you can value that at face value. Like it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. It's like, we're going to give you a thousand shares a year at today's value. That might be 20 or $40,000 a year. Uh, obviously, there's opportunity during the four-year vesting schedule for stock price to appreciate. Obviously, there's also potential you know, decreases and downside. Uh, so you have to make your own judgment call. Like You have to understand what is it worth today and what do I think the company could go in the next few years, right? Could this be a company that could 5X, yeah.
0: Yeah, and yeah so obviously, yeah, there's more variability up and down there, but you can think of it as like, you're still getting a pretty good base um, and the, the stock grant two years after banking isn't going to be, at, at least on day one, it's not going to be like $100,000 face value right that day. It's going to be probably closer to 200, or sorry, 20 to 50,000-ish in terms of, but like with the potential to double or triple and then become that. Um, interesting. Okay. So yeah, you'd say that's pretty typical for that type of
1: role, kind of a junior corporate corp dev role coming out of yeah banking. i would say so a couple years out of banking um you're not going to be it's a pay cut yeah
0: it's a pay cut but it's not a massive pay cut um, it's not it's everything. not yeah
1: i guess the comparison would be like compared to your second year of banking analyst comp yeah maybe like a slight pay cut but then, compared to hey, I'm going to make associate next year, then that's going to be a bigger pay cut, right? That's really the consideration you should be weighing against. Like, what, what is about hourly?
0: What about hourly rate?
1: Oh, you're crushing <laughs> it! You're crushing it! <laughs> it's a pay raise. Oh yeah, you're crushing it for sure. Uh, depending on what bank you went or work at, um. <laughs> you're making twenty percent more per hour, but you're you're uh, yeah. making twenty percent less. <laughs> and uh, unlimited vacation days, man! Like it's uh, it's there's a lot of perks for sure. Yeah. Does anybody take that? Like uh, more, than, more than two weeks. A year. Studies have shown that companies that offer unlimited, do, they, they their take employees less. take less. Yeah. Right. They'll take less. Yeah. Well,
0: maybe I should do that. Yeah. <laughs> no. So, like, we're um, okay. So, we're here. You're here at Dropbox. It's great. You've wanted to be here. It's fast growing. It's exciting. And this was pre IPO.
1: Yeah, about a year before they went public or about nine months.
0: Tell me what it's like being in the corp dev team of a pre-IPO company. Was it exciting? Was it whatever? This is taking care of us. Somebody else is dealing with this. Did they <laughs> have you deal with the bankers at all? Or were there, was it a reckless or was it no bankers?
1: Uh, I was not a part of the IPO process. Uh, that was another team that did that. Um, yeah, pre-IPO. Actually, like Dropbox was pretty acquisitive pre-IPO. That's one of the things that gave me conviction, like I want to go here. Like They had done a ton of deals for like the three or four years prior. Uh, a lot of them were small, like not like huge transformative deals, like but like they were- a
0: 10 a 100 million, something like that tend to.
1: I don't know the exact figures, but yeah, nothing big. It would be like the the, the companies that they were acquiring were probably like five people to like 30 people. So Got it's it. not like a gigantic, you know, company acquisitions. They're just like a high velocity, smaller deal type environment. And I think what they wanted to do with, you know, with my hire and the director of Corp Dev that they brought in before me was, Like okay let's start thinking larger right like it's great to hire like small teams or like acquire small teams and acquire small companies but what is really going to move the needle here right and that's going to be an evolution of like how every company is going to be like pre-ipo you probably don't really need a dev person that much until you reach a certain stage but then you might be focusing a lot of your time on talent-based acquisitions or small technology acquisitions and then once you start raising bigger rounds and once the value of your private stock is like approximately the value of your public stock, like people actually value that as a currency, you can start looking more strategically at larger deals, right? Like actually acquiring new businesses, new revenue streams, very much before it's much more tactical about you know, filling up talent gaps or technology gaps, which will still be a part of the focus, but you're going to be able to do more and do bigger, like the more later stage you are
0: great so like yeah you were with them through the ipo um and then yeah tell me a little bit about your your it sounds like it's like every i'm looking at your linkedin it's like two, two years two years, two years. Yeah. it's very like so is there a two-year thing here where it's like it's time to move after a year and a half you start thinking okay what's my next stage or like i know it's very normal um
1: yeah that was it's similar. funny because uh, for my first three jobs i pretty much stayed at every single one of them two years through the dot like exactly 24 months. Um, that was not intentional. It just kind of happened to work out that way. And that's not really like the approach I'm taking to my career. Like I'm not going to just stop somewhere for two years. It's not like a private equity, like two years stand and I get kicked out or anything, but um, it just kind of happened that way. But um, but yeah, um, yeah, Dropbox was great. Like it's a company that had gone through a lot of change in the two years that I was there. We, um, my team had done kind of the first big deal that they had done, like an actual new business business line. We acquired a company called Hello Sign, which is a DocuSign competitor. Um, okay. Kind of um, in 2019, early early parts of 2019, which is which is great. It was a really fun deal process. It's always really fun helping a company do its first kind of like big deal because a lot of folks within the company are they they don't really know what to expect, right? And it's kind of fun going through that process for the first time. It might be a little bit more difficult but it's uh it's a new fresh challenge
0: interesting i was just looking up uh, dropbox stock so you're um, <laughs> <laughs> um but just out yeah. kind of curiosity and uh yeah <laughs> you haven't missed much upside put it that way no
1: i have not um no. i would say i you've missed didn't no quite upside. strike out my first two companies but i definitely did not do particular like I'm not questioning it from those stock rants. well, at all. I
0: mean Twitter was such a big name too. I mean it's almost impossible yeah. for it not to be overvalued because it's such a especially consumer wise um I feel like these stocks, well, Twitter's now done well um recently, but for a long time it languished.
1: yeah, I was part of that languishing, like yeah. I think I was there for the <laughs> two years where they were languishing the most. I think at one point it was at like fourteen bucks a share, and yeah uh, yeah, yeah, when I joined, it was at fifth it was fifty, so I had my share price cut by almost three quarters. Right. But it is what it is. You know, it's, that's the variability that you have in tech, right? Like you can join a zoom that grows a hundred X in like a year and a half. And sometimes you'll join a WeWork that goes the opposite direction and within a year as well. That's kind of the fun and the challenge of, uh, of working in this industry.
0: It's really interesting. So, um, yeah, so yeah, in terms of the year, I know you didn't plan it out for two year, two year, two year, like you said, but, um, when did you was the team bigger by the time you left Dropbox? Was it like four or five people then at Corp Dev? And
1: just two. Just two yeah. still. Okay. So it was just more two. like,
0: Hey, I I'm looking for a new challenge, that type of thing. It had been public for a while and you were like, Hey, I want to go earlier stage. Is that the thought?
1: Yeah, new challenge, earlier stage. Um I think also I was looking for like a more diverse role, right? I, I think at Dropbox, Corp Dev was very much you're just an day. M&A person. It's yeah, yeah, exactly, right. You, you meet some companies, you execute deals, um, and that's that's fine. But we weren't also like an M&A machine, right? We weren't doing like six, seven deals a year that would really occupy you, just focusing on that one specific role. I wanted to kind of expand my skill sets a little bit. Like, I, I like doing corp dev. I like doing M&A. But is there other types of projects I can work on? Can I do fundraising for the company? Yeah. Can I do? Yeah, tell me,
0: about, yeah. tell me about strategy a little bit and like what what that's like. Is it Does that just mean you're like with the CEO at certain meetings and you're discussing? Like, I don't, I don't know. Tell me what that means at a, at a, <laughs> a growing startup.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, I would say strategy is a very nebulous kind of title. Uh, it could take on a lot of different forms at different companies. And even within a company, there's gonna be different strategy teams who are focused on different things, right? Um, so I think at a high level, there's kind of two different elements of strategy. Like at, at tech companies, when you hear like biz ops and strategy or strategies, usually you're helping kind of implement a process or execute on like a project, right? Like you're helping get a product to market or you're helping um, like a PM improve internal processes. Yeah, exactly. Like you're helping a product team and engineering team to pushing things along. You're like trying to drive initiatives. That's to me more of an operational type of strategy. And then there's kind of more corporate level strategy. Like zooming out, thinking very macro level like what does the vision what is the vision of the company like what is our place within this industry what do we need to look like in 3 years to be an industry leader how should we plan against that how should we think about um, our company kind of structure and narrative and um, how do we engage investors and be able to relay that story to them in a in a very productive manner. Right. So that's more of the role that I'm taking on in my current role, which is kind of more macro focused, more industry. It's a little investor. Focus. It's
0: a little investor relationsy. Um, it can be. Yeah, it can be. Cause you're, well, at least for fundraising, right. For yeah. um, on that side, I guess it's not really IR in the sense of like your public or anything like that. Um, so, so yeah, how, how did you get comfortable? I guess we'd have to talk about that, I guess, just in terms of, you've you shared, you've been really um, forthcoming sharing all your, your entire path, which is really impressive. I just, is there anything kind of looking back, any final kind of words of wisdom? Looking back at your whole, whole run, I know you've had a couple, like you've been at some great companies and, um, you know, the transition from private to public didn't make you uh, able to retire at, at 20 or I don't know how old you are, but, like super young, but it's probably been, it's been a great career so far for you. So tell me like a little bit about just, what you'd suggest to people who might be interested in following your path?
1: Yeah, I, I would say um, these are roles that really, like, you can make what you want out of it, right? There's just so much opportunity to learn, right? Don't think of the corporate development position as I'm an M&A guy, I'm gonna make financial models, I'm gonna execute, execute deals. To be really, really good at your job, you have to spend a lot of time with folks within the company, you have to spend time understanding the product understanding the technical architecture, understanding what is our go-to-market strategy or marketing hooks, even understanding things like you working with the HR and people team and like figuring out how compensation is structuring and, and stuff like that and like benefits work, right? So it's an opportunity for you to absorb a lot from all aspects of the business. And so you should go into it like very wide eyed, very receptive, just be a sponge, right? And to be good at your job, it's not to just be good at finance, you have to be good at everything. And I would have encouraged my earlier self to do that, right? I thought, okay, I'm going to come in, I know how to model, I can kick ass. Uh, That's not enough to do the job well. And it's not enough for you to continue to rise in your career. And um, especially in the corporate world, it's very much kind of like you can rise up as quickly as you can, as you want, if you're good enough. There's really no ceiling to how high. And how quickly you can go right there's i think probably you know p i think for example is hyper structured banking is hyper structured i think in vcs you see people who are 28 29 make partner that's possible in like tag two like if you're super super good and you can buy credibility because you are able to provide value for the company there's no ceiling right so just be aggressive be earnest what would that look going, what would yeah.
0: that look like for you like cfo role at a Basketground company, like what is that what's the standard like from corp dev? Don't, don't a lot of them go CFO eventually? Or no?
1: To be honest, I think like most corp dev people just end up they keep corp doing dev. corp dev. Yeah. Um, some people do like chief strategy roles or CFO roles. I think if you're a CFO, probably more of a strategy-oriented CFO rather than being like a technical accounting finance-based CFO. Not that you don't that, not that you know corp dev people don't have that foundation, but it's just that like, there's a different type of archetype, right, for different types of CFOs. Um But yeah, I think, I think, you know, CFOs are a possibility or, but most people just end up being like a VP of corp dev or, you know, head of corp dev type of role. Got it. Fair.
0: Well, listen, Calvin, thanks so much for uh, taking the time and sharing your story with all the, all the monkeys. (laughs) Thanks for having me, Patrick. This was fun. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way. Patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.